Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that He has called you to do. You know, the funny thing is when you go through some difficult seasons in life, you, you need your friends. And I realized Josie's my best friend. Um, we've just got a lot going on right now, and I just... I. I talk to her all day, every day, even when I'm traveling. I've been with my family up in New York this week. My, my stepmother is uh, going to heaven this week, so I um, was with her last night in New York, just got in late. And, um, but I just couldn't wait to get home to her. Um, I love my wife. She is, she's all, I mean, other than Jesus, she's all I really ever think about. She's the only person I want to spend time with in the world. Uh, she is my super duper bestest friend. And... Um, and then I thought, we're going to talk about friendship today. Now, for some people, like, if a preacher gets up, like, you know, we're going to talk about friendship today. It's like, oh, cool. Now I can see what's going on in the NFL game in Germany. Right now I can pick what restaurant we're going to, because this is going to be the lamest message you've ever heard. But trust me, because those of you that know me, like, I'm going to share my heart with you a little bit. I'm going to share my soul with you a little bit. Is that all right? Okay, good. When you look at the, the ministry of Jesus, there were thousands and thousands that followed Jesus. And the Bible actually records there was 120 that would travel in Jesus's kind of posse. Now, the, you have to think about back then, there were no hotels. And he often stayed what the Bible referred to as outside the city. So what does that mean for 120 people to camp, set up a bathroom, set up a kitchen and feed 120 people three meals a day for the ministry times when they would set up and Jesus would minister to the thousands and thousands of people. Like this was a major operation to get, you know, Jesus's ministry incorporated all around the nation of Israel. And Jesus ministered for about three and a half years that we have, you know, record of. But it took 120 people to to run that, the practical side of the ministry. But then of course we know that out of the 120, there were 12. There were 12 men that were doing their thing, working their jobs, and Jesus came up to them early on and was like, hey, follow me. And they did. And then early on in that whole following Jesus, like if you wanna look at John chapter five and six, we're not gonna go there. Um, Jesus is like, hey, now that you're following me, great. Um, you're gonna have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, just by the way. And then Jesus keeps walking and they're like, Say what? What happened to follow me and like, I'll make you fishers of men. Now it's follow me and drink my blood. Like that's, that's a heavy message, right? But Jesus is like, follow me, drink my blood. That's a lot. But then out of the 12 that were following Jesus for those three and a half years, the Bible keeps recording these three guys. It seemed that out of the 12, there were three like, like favorites. And um, that every time Jesus would do something amazing and the transfiguration being one of them, he would take Peter, James, and John. These three guys, they were like the, 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 the three head of the 12 of the 120, Peter, James, and John. And then out of the three, there was one. There was one that's recorded as being closest to Jesus. There was one that's recorded by his own hand to say that he was the one that Jesus loved. And that's John. There's... Um, John, it is assumed, was actually quite young, 16, 17 years old. He was a teenager. It's not confirmed, but it's assumed based on some of the, the, the little breadcrumbs that are in there that the John was quite young. And we always see this, these intimate personal moments in friendship between Jesus and John, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, at the end of Jesus' ministry, like, 
if, if you haven't read the book of John recently, I would encourage you to read the whole book of John, but especially like 13, 14, 15, like leading up to the cross. There's so much revelation on how to have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus, but it's written through John's own perspective. So they're eating the Passover meal. Uh, Jesus is about to be taken into custody and beaten and murdered for our sin. And um, Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet. Like think about how intimate that moment was, that the king of the universe was to bow down and, and wash the feet of the disciples. And um, they're all eating around this table. Now, when we picture a table and chairs, like for Thanksgiving next week, you picture, you know, everybody's seated. There were no chairs back then. The the table would have been about 12 inches off the ground. And they just would have had these, like, cushions all the way around. Because don't forget, they're a mobile people. They needed to be able to pack all this stuff and throw it on the back of a camel or a donkey. So the, the table wasn't this big thing with long legs. It was the very low to the ground. And then people would just sit on cushions. And you know how it is when you're having Thanksgiving and you're there for two or three hours, like your butt gets tired. So for having Passover for three hours, those of you that have celebrated Passover with us, you know, you you lean on one arm long enough and then you lean on the other arm arm long enough and pretty soon John was just leaning on Jesus. John chapter 13, verse 23, one of the disciples that Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. I just want you to picture that. this young man, this disciple of Jesus, this friend of Jesus, is so close, he can hear Jesus' heartbeat. Jesus turns to pass the matzah bread, and he can feel Jesus' beard. That's an intimate and close relationship. That is, that, that's the definition of what it means to be a friend. And if you're reading this from John's perspective, he was Jesus' best friend. He was his real one, like he he was the the closest disciple to Jesus. So then I want you to have all of that in mind when we read these verses from 1 John. Because 1 John, 2 John, 3 John were written by the same John, probably. Those of you that are theologians, I know there was John the Elder, but I'm taking this from the assumption that this was John. Those of you that don't know what that means, don't worry about it. There's a debate in the theological community about who wrote 1, 2, and 3 John. But John is not a young man anymore. John's an old man. This is actually probably one of the oldest, if not the oldest letter in the New Testament that was written. So John is now a grandpa. He's not the young man leaning up against Jesus. Now he's this old man and he's a leader in the faith. He's probably uh, living in or around Ephesus. He oversees house churches. He's an apostle to all of these churches in the region. And John writes a letter to fix, it's the funny thing is, in one generation, they had gone from Jesus to bad theology. This is what happens, like people are like, oh, I I love the Lord, I just don't like the church. Yeah, we've been getting it wrong for a long time. Like in one generation, there's bad theology and John's an old man and he's trying to fix it. Now the funny thing is about letters, when you read your Bible and read the New Testament, right? The apostle Paul would write a letter, he'd be like, hey, I'm going to write this letter to the church of whatever. I want you to know I'm here with my buddy here, my buddy here, and we just send you our greetings and love and blessing. Uh, Peter did the same thing. Hey, to the church of whatever, I just want you to know I love you and I bless you. No, no, John is too old for like a flowery introduction. Like John gets right to the point. He's like an old man. He's like, I'll I'll be in heaven soon. I ain't got time to play no games. Like I might not even make it to the end of this letter. So I'm going to jump right in in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1 if you want to turn your Bibles there. 
Here's the funny thing about the Greek language, because the, 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 the New Testament was recorded in Greek. In the entire New Testament Bible that was written in Greek, there are 5,400 vocabulary words, 5,400 Greek words. John used only 300. There was no extra fluff. There was no extra nothing. I, like, I love old people. Like, old people get straight to the point. Like, if you want to know how Joyce is doing, just ask her. She will not fluff. She will tell you exactly how she's doing in no uncertain terms. And the funny thing, if you really look at the Greek in, in 1 John chapter 1, the first three and a half verses is actually one run-on sentence. Like, John was like, Spitting bars and just would not take a break until verse 4. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and we have seen. If you have a paper Bible, underline heard and seen. If you have a digital Bible, highlight it and hit save. It'll be there for you next time. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This is the one who life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and we proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He is with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you, this is all one sentence, by the way. We proclaim to you that, we, that what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, that you may also have fellowship with us and, pay attention, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing you all of these things that you might fully share our joy. That's a lot to digest. So what we're going to go back through and just kind of reread, and as I talk about these things randomly, Ryan, just... Put them on the screen behind me. But I, I, I love that right back there in verse 1 where I asked you to underline and highlight. He said, dude, I know him. I, I know that I have a long gray beard. I know that everybody in the church, you, you didn't know Jesus. I have seen him. I have touched him. I have had meals with him. I have leaned up against him, and I have heard his heartbeat. I know 40 to 50, maybe even as much as 60 years has gone by. I, I, I know that none of you know him, and all you know is, is, is probably other letters that John wrote and, and James wrote and, and Peter wrote. And of course, we have all the letters from Paul. I, I know that the church, you probably have great doctrine and you have theology and you have information, but I'm telling you, Jesus is real, and it is not a, a religious experience. It, it, it is not something to debate. He is real I have touched him, I have seen him. Verses two and three, he said, I am proclaiming to you that Jesus is alive. I'm not gonna argue with it, I'm not gonna debate about it. There was a debate going on in the church in Ephesus because they had so much head knowledge and they didn't have much heart knowledge. They had good theology, but they didn't have good experience. They had good church, but they didn't have much relationship. And what John was doing was writing a giant run-on sentence to say, you can't reduce my best friend to a concept. My best friend will not be a religion. My best friend will not be a denomination. My best friend will not be a theology. There is an intimacy and, and a reality to Jesus that I need you to know about. Because so often we love church and we love our way of doing church more than we love Jesus himself. 
We would rather have good relationship with the church. We don't really care about relationship with Jesus. We love obeying the rules and the regulations of what we think church is. But John is like, you don't understand. It's not about a theology. I'm inviting you to have a fellowship. A a koinonia is the word in Greek. A participation in his presence. A participation in an intimate relationship with him. And unfortunately, too many people, they just kind of want Jesus to be like their life insurance policy. Like, they don't want to go to hell, so I'll go to church and I'll pray a prayer once in a while, but I'm not really into the whole, like, radical walk with God. Like, I don't want to rock the boat and have people think I'm a Jesus freak. Like, what he's saying is, dude, I don't care if you're saved. I want you to have fellowship with my best friend. Speaking of the word saved, the the, the term savior is used in Scripture 37 times. So that's important. Jesus is our Savior, amen. The term Lord is used 7,888 times in Scripture. God is more concerned about Jesus being the Lord of your life and then you just not going to hell. So old, old Grandpa John, old Grandpa John is saying, I'm telling you, Jesus is real. So if Jesus is real... You should want to have fellowship with him. You should want to have relationship with him. I don't just want you to get your passport to heaven stamped. I want you to know him. But then here's, you might be like, if you're reading it, you'd be like, let's say John was reading it to you and he was still in the room. You'd be like, okay, what's the, John, what's the point? Verse three is the point. He said, I am proclaiming this Jesus so that, oh, okay, good. Thank God there's a so that. Because you figure now John is going to drop some sort of new revelation on the church that he leads. I I want you to have fellowship with Jesus because I have touched him, I have seen him, so that what? So that we can believe more in him? So that we can pray in tongues? So that we can write books? So that we can write songs? So that we can have conferences in Jesus' name? Verse 3, so that you might have fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus. Wait, what? John's like, yeah, the whole thing is about having a fellowship relationship with him. Like, no, 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 John, I know, but give me some revelation. Give me some wisdom. I I need more head knowledge. And he's like, listen, you don't need more head knowledge. You need more friendship with my best friend, Jesus. And Paul's writing over, you know, in 1 Corinthians, you know, 12, 13, 14. Yes, you need the gifts of the Spirit, but you need friendship with Jesus more. Yes, you need head knowledge, but you need a friendship with Jesus more. And so often he's like, like, I know, but look, we've built this great church. We've built this mega church. And so often we will settle for church, but the invitation was not church. The invitation was friendship with Jesus. So Grandpa John, Jesus' best friend, is like, y'all, don't settle for religion. Don't settle for denomination. Don't settle for church. Because when you do, you miss out on the whole point of this thing, and that is friendship with Jesus. He's, he's the lover of my soul. He's a friend that sticks closer to the brother. I, I've, I've heard his heartbeat. So then you might go like, okay, well, what do I get out of this? You get verse four, that your joy might be complete. I gotta be honest. I've only met a handful of Christians who, in my opinion, their joy is complete in their friendship with God. Because if I'm being, you guys know me pretty well, this sermon is more for me than anybody else. Because 
I am a professional Christian. I get paid to study the Bible. I, I get paid to pray. I get paid to, to write messages about Jesus. And if I'm not careful, I can be a professional Christian and not have an intimate friendship with Jesus. We all can. We're all in danger of professionalizing our walk with God. And how do you know if you have professionalized your walk with God or not? Is your joy complete? Because I, I can so easily throw my joy out the window. I was on a, I would tell you, I was with my family this week up in New York. I was on a flight last night and um, they came by and they're like, hey, do you want some ice cream? I'm like, of course I want some ice cream. Have I ever said no to ice cream? So the guy hands me a raspberry sorbet. And I literally was like, my joy is incomplete. <laughs> and I handed it right back. I said, I thought you said ice cream. He's like, well, you know, it's cold and sweet. And I'm like, if it's not chocolate, it's not dessert. My joy was incomplete last night. Some of you are like, dude, you don't, you don't need any more ice cream. You're good. So often we're ruled by our emotions and not ruled by our friendship with Jesus. Life comes at us and we freak out. I want to be a better friend to Jesus. You know what's funny about Abraham? I, won't, I really don't have time to dive into this. It's like a whole separate mes message on the friendship with God. Abraham was literally called a friend of God. James referred to him in, in James chapter 2 and verse 2. He said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was a friend of God. How do we become better friends of God? Well, how do we become better friends of anybody? I told you at the beginning how much I love my wife and how she's just my best friend and the sun rises and the moon comes out because of her. I just, well, not literally, because of Jesus. But I love this woman. Hey, let's be totally honest. Sometimes it's easier to love your spouse or your best friend or your roommate or your sibling more easier than it is to love Jesus intimately. But she's my best friend. How did Josie and I become best friends? Well, 27 years ago, I stopped being best friends with any other person on the planet and was only best friends with her. So for 27 years, we've talked every day. We've traveled the world together. We have laughed together. We've watched movies together. We've celebrated together. We've been through high highs and low lows. We've learned together. We've ministered together. If anything we're going to learn from being a friend is that it takes time. It takes time to become somebody's friend. It doesn't happen overnight. You're invited into the friendship, but it takes time to learn and grow and mature that friendship. And it happened because of spending time with her. So John and the disciples, they spent time with Jesus. They were invited in. Jesus like, hey, you guys want to be my friend? Follow me. <laughs> and then later he said, drink my blood. So like take the four guys that were fishermen, right? There were four of the disciples that we know for a fact were fishermen. And they're, they're literally working their full-time job for a living. This is how they provide and put food in their belly. And Jesus walks up. He's like, hey, follow me. And they were like, okay. And they quit their jobs. And they went to Bible college, to Jesus college, and they followed him and they learned from him. They dropped everything to follow Jesus. The back to this point about James talking about Abraham. This is Old Testament. Abraham, there wasn't like a Jesus to follow. It was just a voice in the stars saying, leave where you are, go to where I tell you. And Abe was like, okay. And he just followed the voice of the Lord. He didn't know God. He wasn't a professional Christian. He just was like a guy, like a regular guy. 
and he heard God say, follow me. And Abraham was like, okay. Later, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they have a baby. And God's like, hey, I'm so glad you had a baby. Now I want you to sacrifice him. Kill your baby. He was a boy by that point. But. And Abraham was like, okay. I've got three kids. I don't know if I could do that. That takes a lot of trust in your friend. But he was willing to obey God no matter what. And if you don't know the story, God didn't make him kill him. It was a test of his devotion to the friendship. Abraham was willing to obey God. And by being willing to do what God called him to do, thousands of years later, James said, that was God's friend. So friendship with God is time spent with and obedience to the Lord. Should have written that down if you were taking notes. So for these first three and a half years of the disciples following Jesus, they spent their time serving. They spent their time setting up tents and tearing down tents. They spent their time digging latrines. They spent their time loading up the donkeys and unloading the donkeys. They spent their time learning from Jesus and learning the ministry. They spent their time multiplying bread and, and, and fish and, and helping to take care of the crowds. They were serving Jesus for three and a half years. And then all of a sudden, we take you back to the table where John, the young man, is leaning up against Jesus and they're celebrating the Passover together. Jesus is about to leave and return to heaven. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey boys, listen carefully. I'm gonna write you a blank check. John chapter 14, he says, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. Just leave that verse up for a second. Jesus walked on water, cast out devils, raised the dead, opened blind eyes, multiplied food. And Jesus is like, yeah, y'all can do the same thing. If you believe in me, you can do the same works that I've been doing. And then he doubles down and says, nah, fam, you can do greater works than I have done. Because I'm gonna go to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father might be glorified through the Son. Jesus is taking his friendship with the 12 to a whole new level. He said, I've been doing the ministry and you have been supporting. Now you're gonna continue the work of the ministry. I'm handing you a blank check to do whatever you want. What is the difference? This is, I, I, you have to just zoom out. Why would Jesus be changing how the relationship with the disciples worked? What is changing after three and a half years? Turn one page to the next chapter, John chapter 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know what the master's doing. Instead, I'm gonna call you friends. Everything that I've learned from my father, I'm now making known to you. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not only looking for servants, he's looking for friends to continue the work that he started. He's looking for people to learn about the mystery and the power of the kingdom of God and to enter into, spend time with a relationship, a friendship with him, and then he'll write you a blank check to do whatever he's called you to do. I point out to you that Jesus didn't say this to the thousands that followed him. It's not even recorded that Jesus said this to the 120. Jesus said this to the 12. Whatever you ask for in my name, It'll be done for you because I no longer consider you servants. I now consider you my friends. Being a friend of Jesus, spending time with Jesus, learning about the mystery of the power of the gospel, will, it, it, it's an invitation. It's an open door to walk into this relationship, this friendship with Jesus. It empowers us to do the work of the ministry. But I remind you, it started with Jesus saying, follow me. Drop everything, leave your life behind, 
and follow me. You want to be my friend? You're going to have to drop everything of your old life and follow Jesus. The further you want to go with Jesus, the more you're going to have to leave behind of your old life. If you want to hang on to your old life, if you want to hang on to your addiction, your fear, your sin, your pain, your struggle, your trial, your unforgiveness, all of that has to be left behind if you want to follow Jesus. If you want to be his friend. I'll also say this, lately we've been talking a lot about walking through trials, walking through struggle, walking through pain. Of course, we did Psalm uh, 23, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. When you, you go through a difficult season, I notice that friends will surround you. Obviously, I'm very grateful to you and I'm very proud of you, the way that you have surrounded Oscar and the family this last week with Olgi going to heaven. And that's what friends do. Our hearts break. We mourn when people have major surgeries or even if they have a happy thing like a baby. But you know, maybe it was a C-section. Mom's gonna be on her back for a few extra days while she heals up. The friends will surround and we serve. We, we do whatever it takes. In the difficult seasons, you know who your real ones are because they're the ones that show up. They're the ones that help. They're the ones that give. They're the ones that serve. And Jesus is saying, listen, we're going to have to walk through the occasional valley, but you will not be alone. I will be with you. I'm going to actually set up a table. I'm going to prepare a table for you in the midst of your darkest hour. And then I want to sit down and eat with you. I want to look in your eyes and tell you how much I love you. But don't worry. You just keep your eyes fixed on your best friend while your enemies surround the table. It's a test of friendship. Can we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in the difficult season or are we going to run in fear because we know better and we want to get out of the valley. So in our own strength, we try to run out of a situation and what we've done is we've left our friend at the table. This is how so many Christians walk away from their faith in God. They, they, they get laid off from work. They have a miscarriage. They go through and suffer a, a, a divorce. They, a friend betrays them. They, something terrible happens and they're carrying pain in their heart, their mind, their body. And instead of staying seated at the table and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, we get into fear and we run away. Well, you heard it from Alex's story alone. He walked with God as a teenager, high school, college years. Somewhere in there he got spooked and he ran from the table and he thought he could do better. God became a drug addict until he returned to the Lord and God washed him and cleansed him, brought him back to the table and they became friends again. But he had to leave all that stuff behind. You get it? Hop up on your feet, I wanna pray for you. I do have a word of warning, a word of caution, if you will. Three and a half years, the 12 disciples followed Jesus. The 12 were sitting around the table eating with Jesus, John leaning up against Jesus while they eat that meal. They all, the 12 disciples, had their feet washed by Jesus. Judas Iscariot was at that meal that night. He missed the whole friendship part. He tried to be a part of the group. He tried to be a part of the church. He tried to understand the theology. He tried to look good on the outside, but his heart had not entered into an intimate friendship with Jesus. You can go to church. You can be near Jesus. You can attend a you group. But if you keep your secret sins held onto, you didn't leave them behind when Jesus called you to follow, 
it's going to end in death. Remember, our joy is not made complete until we completely surrender to the fellowship, the koinonia, the friendship that we're invited into with Jesus. So old grandpa John, John, 1 John 1, read all, 1 John 1, 2, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, they're just short little books. You can read them for homework. Oh, you also have to read John 13, 14, and 15 for homework. You guys have a lot of John to read this week. John's saying, listen, I'm old. I'm near the finish line. I will be in heaven soon, but I will not be bound up with religion. I will not be bound up thinking with a servant's heart. I have seen him. I have touched him. I know him. He is real. He is the son of the living God. He is the pearl of great price. He is the lost coin that we should be searching for. And don't forget, John grew up as a a Jew, a religious Jew living in Israel. He knew religion. And he's like, listen, I know that Jesus has come, but we will not give into religion. It's all about having an intimate, personal friendship relationship with Jesus. So John's like, I have to write this letter before I go to heaven. Don't turn Christianity into a religion. It has to be a fellowship, a koinonia, a participation in the presence of God. That's the purpose of our church. That's why we're here today. That's the purpose of of Freedom Track. That's the purpose of our small groups called our uncommon groups. That's the purpose of building relationship. You guys saw that uh, both Felix and Alex were surrounded by dozens of people this morning. They joined the church like less than a year ago. But they decided, I'm not just going to attend this church I'm going to koinonia, I'm going to participate, I'm going to fellowship, I'm going to build friendships and relationships with the church family and with Jesus. I'm going to pursue Lord, the, I'm going to pursue the Lord. I'm not trying to get my passport to heaven stamped. That's not the goal. Like I'm glad that you're prayed a prayer. I'm glad you screwed in a light bulb, but there's more to it than that. I'm glad you've learned a little bit. You've attended Readwell with Ira and Casey. You've studied the Bible a little. Ryan and Anna taught you some Greek words. Congratulations. That's not the goal is to only have knowledge. There's more. And it is an intimate, personal friendship, a relationship. It is funny about making friends in the church. Sometimes it's easier to make friends in the church than it is to be a friend of God. The same thing happened to the nation of Israel. Moses has this relationship with God that starts at the burning bush and the fiery presence of God. And Moses is like, yes, God is real. And he's developing this relationship. And he goes to Egypt and he leads the people out of Egypt and they're in the desert and, he's, and they're at Mount Sinai and the fire and the cloud, the, the presence of God is there. And Moses is going up into the presence of God and coming down. And Moses is like, you guys, come on. Let me, let me introduce you to the fire of God, the presence of God. And we don't have time to get into this. It's a whole other sermon. But the people of God were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, Mo, 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 Mo. Why don't you go up, do your thing with the fiery God. You come down and I'm going to take a selfie with you. And we settle for religion when God's offering a relationship. My own personal example, and I was writing this, I had to think, who, if somebody on earth, if a human person were to call me and be like, I wanna be your best friend. My hero in the faith is Pastor Bill Johnson, Bethel Church out in Redding, California. If, if, if for some reason my phone rings and it's a Redding, California number, I'm gonna answer just in case. 
He said, hey, it's Pastor Bill. I understand you've been reading my books and following me for 20 years. God has put you on my heart. I want to be your best friend. My answer is yes. I don't have to pray about being Bill Johnson's best friend. (laughs) But if Bill was like, listen, if I'm going to be a friend, if I'm going to be like a father to you, I need you to read five chapters of the Bible every day. Done. All right. I need you to fast two days a week. Absolutely. I need you to lose 20 pounds. Okay. I want you to fly to California and have lunch with me every week. Okay. Okay, Pastor Bill, whatever you want. Why? Because sometimes it's easier to obey man's commands than God's. Sometimes it's easier to have a friendship with somebody on the earth than developing time spent and obedience to the commands of the Lord. But that's how we become God's friend. Spend time with them. Do you know that when Josie texts me, we text each other all day, every day, I'm reading words off of a screen, but in my imagination, I'm hearing it in her voice. Do you guys do that with friends that text you? Like you're reading it off a screen, just words, but you hear it in their voice in your head. How did that happen? Years and years and years of listening to their voice. When I read the Bible, I'm not reading words on a page. I'm reading a letter from my best friend. Why? Because I've spent years and years and years and years learning his voice. John chapter 15, I'm gonna end with this. Jesus said, it's in red letters in your Bible. If you wanna be my friend, do what I command. I'll tell you this, God is looking for friends. He's looking for people to spend time with him and obey what he's asked you to do. So here's my question, will you be God's friend? And what is he asking you to lay down? What is he asking you to leave behind? What, what sins and selfish things are you trying to drag through life? What things do you waste time doing instead of spending it in time with Jesus? Like the crown dropped on Netflix, 10 hours? Absolutely. And the Lord's like, dude, why don't you spend 10 minutes in prayer? I'm like, that's kind of hard. I don't have that kind of time. You got the same amount of time as we all do. But some of us choose to be God's friend and some just fake it and go to church. I'm asking you, I'm begging you, be God's friend. Lay down the stuff that he's, you've been carrying through life. Sins, fears, unforgiveness, pain. Release that, lay it down. Spend time with him and then do what he's called you to do. There's people that have been called into ministry. There's people that have been called to become missionaries. There's people that have been called to pastor churches. There's people that have been called to serve. There's people that have been called to go to Bible colleges. There's people that have been called to do things. Prison ministry or lead a youth group or whatever. Join a dream team. But we're just like, no, I'm going to do my thing. Spend time with them. Do what he asks you to do. It's not hard to be his friend. But I want to be called God's friend, don't you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would forgive us for every time that we've opted for our own thing, a sinful thing, a selfish thing, instead of your thing. I ask that you'd forgive us for every time you've called us to spend time with you, and instead we spent time with something else. God, I ask that you would woo us, call us into koinonia, participation in an intimate friendship with you. God, I love you, and 
I love to be your friend and I pray that we could become better friends and I pray that Uncommon Church would become really good friends with you. Lord, sometimes it's our fears, it's our sin, it's the, the, the hurts and hang-ups that we carry through life that we're unwilling to lay down that keep us out of relationship with you. So would you forgive us of our sin? Would you wash us, Lord? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you're not right with God, you haven't been acting like God's friend, you haven't been spending time with him, in fact, you've been doing kind of whatever you want to do. You've been back in sin, you let your heart grow cold and hard to the Lord. You got hit by a bus, you don't even know you'd go to heaven. I can lead you in a prayer. I mean, you have to pray it, but I can help you. I can lead you in a prayer where you ask God to forgive you of your sin. You ask God to be the Lord of your life and the lover of your soul, your best friend. You enter into that relationship. Now, it might be the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this. It might be the first time in a long time. Maybe you got away from the Lord and you thought you knew better and you ran and did your own thing. Well, the Lord's not mad at you. Can I, can I just tell you that? God's not mad at you. He loves you, he's crazy about you. He's, he's calling you to say, hey, follow me. So if that's you this morning and you wanna pray that prayer, I'd like to lead you that for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you just shoot your hand up real high so I know who I'm praying for? Just shoot your hand up and wave it at me. I see your hand, is there anybody else? Just shoot your hand up and say, pray for me, preacher. I see your hand over there, I see your hand over there. Is there anybody else? I see your hand back there. Is there anybody else? I see your hand over there. Is there anybody else? Raise it at me, come on. Good, yay God, yay God, yay God, yay God. Wow, 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 wow. All right, online people, you thought I forgot about you. Five or six people raise their hand and say, you know what, I haven't been a good friend to Jesus and today's my day to lay it all down and follow Jesus and be his friend again. Right there in your living room, right there in your car, your bedroom, wherever you're watching this, just you and YouTube. Would you just raise your hand? I know it's an act of faith. It might be live, it might be six months from now. Just raise your hand and say, God, I wanna be your friend again. For the sake of you that are online and the five or six people that I saw here this morning, can we all pray together? If you believe it in your heart, pray this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent. I surrender my life to you. I wanna be your friend. I'm gonna spend time with you. I wanna obey you. Be the Lord of my life. You are in charge. I surrender to you. Wash me, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I receive the gift of eternal life. I receive the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for dying for me, for calling me to follow you. Help me, Lord in my walk and in my friendship in jesus name if you agree say amen come on somebody i'm so proud of you you and you and you and you and you come on i'm so proud of you <laughs> yay all right here's what we're gonna do 
For those that were watching online and for those that are here, we want to begin to pray for you. We want to screw in a light bulb on the Jesus wall. Each one of those light bulbs is somebody just like you that prayed that same prayer. So I'd like our prayer team to come down to the front and we want to pray for everybody. We especially want to pray for the five or six of you. And if you're here this morning and you've got, oh, by the way, if you're at home, we can't, you know, have you come down. So if you would text the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 817-405-2244. That's going to send an auto response form. Fill out the form. Click submit. We're going to screw in a light bulb with your initials on it. We're going to begin to pray for you and encourage you on your walk with God. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.